0: Welcome to session six of our Enneagram course. And in this session, we're going to be looking at Enneagram point three. And we're in the center of the heart triad. We just uh, had the two in our last session. Uh, So three also will have a lot to do with the heart, but in a different way. We'll see some things that are parallel or congruent with what we saw in the two. And we'll experience some things that are also, of course, distinct, different. But let's get ourselves uh, ready by uh, focusing our attention, collecting ourselves, and just remembering that all the material we're learning is in service of our presence of our collected attention, of our capacity to be with our experience, whatever our Enneagram type may be. So yes, here is the breath. And I'm learning each day to be with my breath, to come back to this as a centering practice. Whatever I may be doing in life, I'm breathing. So I can always count on that, can always come back. And as we've seen, as I'm breathing, it will tend to bring sensation into more explicit awareness. So as I sense into myself right now, what do I notice? How am I doing at this particular juncture of my life as I land in my experience? And as we're feeling a little more established in our sensation, and in our breath, we will notice most likely some quality of feeling of heart. And there's a difference between the changing surface of emotionality and a deeper quality of the heart. We're going to continue to look at that in this session and the next one. as I'm with sensation, and I begin to sense into my chest, what do I notice? It can throw us off a little bit because once we look past the surface of our reactions, our emotional buttons being pushed, you might say, things tend to get a lot quieter in, in the deeper heart. There's a kind of stillness of heart that we're generally not used to. I think people like the idea of the quiet mind. They're not so sure about the quiet heart, but actually as we relax and allow it, it's quite lovely. It's uh, the source of our kindness and our patience and our sensitivity. We may spend a lot of time avoiding this or thinking that it's nothing, but it actually is a very important part of us. How can I learn to come back into my living presence through my body and reconnect with my deeper heart? We're starting to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And to notice how this really helps my mind smooth out as well. Less agitation, less noise. And to consider for a moment, what would it be like for me to move into my day doing the tasks that life requires of me while retaining some sense of rootedness in this deeper part of myself? How would it change the way I function, the way I relate to people, the way I do things in the world? And this is really the question that point three poses to all of us. Thank you. You know, we looked at point nine, and in point nine, we had the sense, as we explored the gift of point nine, of experiencing ourselves as presence, as being, the kind of fundamental realization experience that I am that, I am am this consciousness that I'm looking for. But here in point three, we come to a really wonderful paradox that, yes, I am consciousness. That's true. And when I lean back into my experience, I find that deep, vast openness and stillness. But I also am this particular human being. And that counts too. I'm both. I am both this human expression and I am this great stillness and light of presence. And that can seem like an irreconcilable divide in some sense. We might notice it in the way that we partition our spiritual practice and our lived lives. You know, I go and get myself centered in a meditation, then I get off the cushion and I'm running out into life and suddenly my mind is filled with 15,000 things I've got to do and away I go. How do I carry the thread of that rootedness in my soul into my functioning in life? That's really what three is about. How do I live my human life while not forgetting who and what I really am and who and what you really are. That's the challenge and opportunity here. So as we look at the gift of three, the essence of three, part of it is just that. It is the capacity to function from being, from presence, where my functioning is not taking me out of presence. Uh, I'm not leaving my mindfulness behind because I've got stuff to do. That's easier said than done. It seems like it would be easy, but we don't generally trust our being as something that can accomplish the tasks that we have to do. We trust our personality more, generally speaking. But when we come to the gift of three, we see there's no split. There's no contradiction. Being present in my functioning is simply being present and it's a necessary and beautiful component of living a human life. So the question arises, what is the connection? How do we experience the connection between functioning and being? And obviously being present in our body is an important part of that. Um, Being present with what we're doing is an important part of that. But what we might also notice is that when we are present with what we're doing, our heart comes online in a powerful way. And when it does, that quality of heart becomes the sort of seamless place where these two apparently different worlds really meet and become one thing. It's kind of amazing. Now, that might sound a little strange or metaphysical, but I guarantee you, you've experienced it many times. Absolutely know what I'm talking about. Now, there are a lot of traditions. If, if we were to look at monastic traditions or deeper spiritual practices where people work at doing tasks without losing their awareness. Um, Mindful practice involves doing things. If you were to be in a Christian monastery or a Zen monastery, you would be learning to accomplish cooking and cleaning and maintaining things without losing your presence. But the point being, again, that when we are doing that, something lights up in our heart. It's a mysterious thing that when we start to be present to what we're doing, we feel in our heart some sense of fulfillment. And it isn't a sense of, oh, I'm getting my work done, which is nice. But this is more like I'm being who I really am. I'm here functioning and fulfilling what I'm supposed to be doing. It's a bit like the sense that I'm fulfilling a promise that I forgot that I made. Now, we don't know who or what that promise is, but it feels like that. We feel like, yes, I'm being me. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Now in more ordinary language, we start to feel our life has meaning. And meaning, my friends, comes from our heart, doesn't come from our head. The sense of meaning, the sense of purpose. These are very important things for point three. What is the meaning of my life? What is the meaning of my work? What is the purpose of my existence? Is there one? Well, those answers are never going to be found mentally. And the world presents so many messages to me about what that might be. And some of those messages could be relevant, but of course, many of them are not. But when I come back into presence and I'm just here with what I'm doing, and my heart comes online in this way, whatever I'm doing is imbued with the sense of meaning and purpose. This is why, for example, when businesses are trying to operate without any reference to people's hearts or their aspirations. It's very hard to sustain any kind of motivation, let alone inspiration. When we cut the heart out of the deal, everything becomes kind of empty and automatic and sort of robotic, as much of modern life is. This isn't an opposite to getting things done. It's what brings the meaning and purpose and beauty back to the things that we need to do in our life. And it's cool because you know you don't need to be doing anything fancy for this to occur. You could be doing very simple tasks. You could be walking your dog. You could be, you know, making green beans. <laughs> you could be uh, you know, vacuuming the house. Whatever it is, when we are present with that activity, this sense of meaning returns to our heart. And when you're doing that, it feels pretty important. I have to tell you, um, one one of the first really mind-blowing spiritual experiences I ever had that really shifted my sense of what this world is happened when I was cleaning toilets. I was on my knees in a bathroom a public bathroom, cleaning toilets. And I was trying to do it more consciously and with intention. And suddenly everything sort of dropped away and there was just the cleaning and it was glorious. And we call this, I mean, people in the business world might call this flow. I was in a state of flow, which is true, but kind of a boring way to talk about it. It's so much more than that when it actually happens because you really feel this, gorgeous sense of enjoying your life liking being who you are liking that you have the capacities to do whatever you're doing it's a it we light up indeed you could say that in the nine one way we might experience that presence is as a kind of light sometimes people perceive that sometimes they don't but in the The three, it's more particular in that we feel light in our heart. Like there's a light inside there. Some of you might remember the movie E.T. And E.T., when things were going right, his heart would light up. You know, heart light. Um, Neil Diamond even wrote a song about that. But this quality of um, our heart lighting up is this sense of our life coming together in the moment right now with what we're doing, who we're relating to, and we become ourselves. That's pretty important. Another word that comes to me as I'm considering this gift of the three is value. Value and preciousness. When a baby is born and we look at that infant, we see, we feel the preciousness of that being. It's like they're radiant and they might just be funny looking and slobbering and making strange sounds or no sound, but we nonetheless feel the inherent preciousness of that being. Right, That baby doesn't have a resume yet doesn't have any significant accomplishments other than, you know, making some substances, right? Baby is just being. When we are touching our heart in the way that we're exploring here, we feel our inherent value, our worth, our preciousness. We experience our life as something precious. And we are filled with a sense of appreciation for having this life and for having this opportunity to express the things that we are in the particularities that we find ourselves in. It's not just recognizing your talents. But it is appreciating them, and it's appreciating who and what you are. And of course, when you're feeling this, you see this in other people too. Everybody looks more lit up. Everybody looks more amazing. Everyone is precious. And then we greet each other that way. We work with each other that way. It goes beyond respect to a place where we're just digging each other, just loving everybody being who they are. Now, that value and preciousness is, again, a property of the heart. It's not a cognitive thing. We can do our best to give ourselves pep talks or try to cheer ourselves up in the various ways we do, but it's something that comes from the inside out. It's a property of presence. Once again, presence in the heart, presence in the heart while living our lives and functioning will tend to produce this sense of value and meaning. And again, the cynical mind can say, I don't know about that. I travel the world and I spend a lot of time working also in developing countries where people live in tremendous poverty. And I would wish those people so many more advantages and opportunities. But I can tell you, that often in those circumstances, I encounter individuals who really get this part of the teaching, who have an inherent sense of their value, their preciousness, and their dignity, even though they are so disadvantaged in a lot of material ways. I'm not saying that it's their material disadvantage that creates this. I would like them to have a better life, and I'm sure they would too. I'm saying that Their disadvantage does not make them feel like less of a human being, doesn't make them feel less important, doesn't fill them with a sense of inadequacy and shame, which we'll see in a moment, is the result when we lose this quality. So I'm hoping that you're getting a, a feeling of this. It's so important. It's hard to talk about. It's so fundamental to human experience, we don't have a lot of words for it. But we certainly can begin to notice the tremendous tragedy with the absence of this, that when we lose presence from this point of view, it is experienced as the loss of our feeling of value, of worth, the preciousness of our life, that sense of meaning and purpose, the ability to be there in what we're doing. That's a tremendous loss. Just completely overwhelming and heartbreaking it's like we lose our humanity in a certain way um, it's interesting too that the heart goes into reaction around our departure from presence the heart experiences the loss of, of presence as abandonment I'll say that again the heart experiences the loss of presence as abandonment. So when we're not present, our heart goes into a kind of freak out and we feel bereft, we feel abandoned. And here in the three zone, we feel worthless. We feel empty. We feel our life is meaningless. You know, if we really hang out with those feelings, that's devastating. It it leads people to want to end their lives. What the three does to compensate and the three in us does is we quickly look around to the culture we find ourselves in. We look to our peers. We look to our families. We look to people we value. And we try to get clues about what does a valuable person look like? What does a valuable person do? Whatever that is, I'm going to do that. Not only that, I'm going to do it with excellence. I'm going to surpass everybody else in my ability to do that because I have to restore that sense of value and preciousness. And I'll do whatever it takes. I would say that this particular structure is very endemic in the whole world right now. Traditionally, it's been a huge part of American culture. But I would say also that it's become a very significant part of Asian culture, certainly in China. uh, There's this tremendous drive people have to prove themselves, to show that they matter, to show that they count. We look to fame, to fortune, to where we live, to the stuff we own, to who we're dating – so much of it gets muddled up with what we think is going to make us finally feel good about ourselves. And yet we read over and over again stories of people who seem to have everything and they're in despair. They end their lives. They destroy their lives with drugs and addiction. Why would that happen? It's because these external accomplishments, while wonderful and great, won't do the trick if we aren't re-inhabiting the place that they would matter to, which is our heart. And so you might ask yourself, why is it that we don't go to the heart? If the heart is going to bring us this sense of value and meaning, if it's going to bring us that sense of real connection and love that we saw in the two, why don't we just hang out in the heart? Because the first thing we're going to experience is our own self-abandonment. Before we get down into the beautiful depth of the heart, we're going to feel all of the difficulties that led us to depart ourselves. And we really didn't have the capacity to do that when we were little. And there aren't a lot of people around to show us how to do it as adults. But that's what we're learning together. We're learning how to support each other and certainly to support ourselves in returning to our true home, returning to our heart. And to understand that doing that is going to have some challenges and bumps. So the three and the three in us experiences this loss of presence, as I said, is the loss of meaning, the loss of light, the loss of value, preciousness, the sense of my significance as a human being. And it produces this activity but at the core of it the passion was described by Oscar Chazo as deceit and Oscar gave vanity as the fixation well i have already gone on record and i will do so here saying i believe oscar reversed those two things and uh, one of the other great lights of the Enneagram world who passed away uh, not long ago was Claudio Naranjo, who was one of the main people to transmit these teachings to the wider modern audience. Uh, But he and I both agreed that the passion really is more vanity and the fixation is deceit. Just the other way around. Why do we say that? Well. First off, deceit is something you do with your mind. It's not a heart thing. The heart does not deceive, but the mind does. Also, vanity or vainglory was one of the original passions or forms of distortion or sin that were described by the desert fathers and mothers in Egypt back in the early years of Christianity. So it's already there as one of the passions. So then what does that mean? Vanity or vainglory is just an old-fashioned term for narcissism. And before we go any further into that, we need to be very gentle with ourselves here. We need to really work with non-blaming language. We need to understand that all egos are to some degree narcissistic. Ergo... We need to stop seeing narcissism as some terrible scarlet letter. Uh, We have to recognize that there's a very good chance that you and I have some running around in our psyche. We have to have narcissism not be a dirty word. Narcissism is the ego's desperate search to create this sense of value, to feel worthwhile. But the ego, created in our early childhood, um, has limited ways to go about that. When we're little kids, and certainly when we're forming our personality, we get our whole sense of ourselves by how we are seen, and appreciated, and validated by our caretakers. Whoever that was, if we had our biological parents, it's probably them. But grandparents could have been part of that, older siblings, other family members or people that were around that were important to us. But there there aren't options here. When you're a little child, you get your sense of who you are and that you're lovable and precious by what your caretakers can see in you. Now that would be just fine if not for the fact that there's a very good chance our caretakers had their issues, had ways they weren't seen, had their own broken dreams and dashed hopes. So it's very hard for human beings to really see into the heart of another human being without the development of the very kind of presence that we're talking about. Right, So we're all doing our best. We're trying to see each other. We're trying to get each other. But we can't help but have our own stuff as we're trying to do that. And that stuff inadvertently goes along with whatever we see. Because we tend to see things in the other that are a reflection of our own longings and needs. It's inevitable. So the, the child then picking that up says, wow. Mom and dad value that. The community values that. I'm going to be more like that. And I will just add here, this isn't Enneagram that I'm talking right now. It's basic psychology. But of course, the Enneagram, as I understand it, is congruent with the findings of mainstream psychology. We are then set up with a constant search for validation. We're needing someone to see us, someone to get us, someone to approve of us. And it's funny, this isn't everybody. It's not just a popularity contest. There's certain people whose approval we're desperate for. And the funny thing is, once these mechanisms get set up, the person could even be dead, long dead. But we're still trying to win their love. We're still trying to get their approval. This is an absolutely normal and a common state of affairs for human beings. And as one of the big three, the nine, the three, and the six, it's one of the anchors of the ego, this desperate bid to be good enough, to be worth it, to prove that I'm worth it. Each generation finds new ways to do it. When I was a younger guy, if you were, a, you know, a musician or an athlete, you know that that was definitely one way that you could get that esteem. Nowadays, you know, people do it by starting businesses or becoming figures on the internet. But we're—it isn't to say that the work we do or the services we provide are not important. They are. But if we're running them from the point of view that we're trying to get that love, get that attention, get that validation from them, it's going to rob us of being in those experiences with our heart in the way that it would bring that meaning and fulfillment that I talked about. We're going to make all of our activities kind of empty because they're all for the review of someone who's not here. They're, we're trying to get this approval. And here's the sad thing even if I got it, it wouldn't exactly do the trick. And often, even if we succeed in these ventures, it doesn't produce what we hope it will produce in the people that we were trying to win over. One thing that might happen you know, sometimes parents are proud, but they're also envious because, on some level, They wanted some of these kind of things for themselves. So the the emotions of it can be complicated. My point, though, is when we're caught up in this vanity, this desperate search, we're also avoiding the deeper wound here, the kind of heart, which I call the empty heart. There's nothing inside. It's a sense that there's no reason to look inward. There's no reason to get to know my deeper soul because there ain't nothing there. This is why when I'm sometimes working in organizations, workplaces where the culture is such that the heart has been kind of swept under the carpet, there's a lot of talk like, oh, that's woo-woo, that's touchy-feely, etc., etc. Basically, it's the the little reaction of fear that comes up when people who are very trained and accustomed to externally focusing are suddenly asked to look inside because there is this fear, there's nothing to see. I'm deficient. I'm empty inside. Uh, This is like the Tin Man in The Wizard of Oz who really thought he had nothing inside him. But like The Wizard of Oz, it's not true. Every one of us has a heart. Every one of us has a soul. Every one of us potentially has a rich inner life to explore and express. But we can be compassionate about how we've been trained to not honor that. And we can understand that we've been rewarded for not honoring that. So you might want to just take a moment to be with that. We're in the center of the heart triad now and these are not small issues. They have an impact and to whatever degree this particular structure has been part of my life, it can bring up a lot for me to begin to see the extent of it. So when we are trying to overcome that empty heart. We're doing it by getting busy, accomplishing things, going after goals, getting things done, going through our tasks. Life becomes uh, a series of checklists. Did I get this done? Did I get this done? Did I get this done? The other aspect is that we're deprived of that sense of self. We do what all human beings do. We play roles with each other. And that isn't crazy. It isn't fake. It's necessary. If you talk the same way at a meeting of executives as you do with your two-year-old grandchild, there's something seriously wrong with you, right? Obviously, there's a way you manifest with that grandchild, and there's a way you manifest in that meeting. There's a way you manifest with your lover. There's a way you manifest with old friends, And that is normal and necessary. But we don't see how we just pop into these roles. We see our old friend and suddenly, boom, I become the guy I am with that old friend. I see a lover and boom, I become the guy I am with that lover. right? And it's all kind of automatic, invisible. I don't see it. And as I'm saying, there's nothing wrong with playing roles except they're one of the ways that we forget there's something here behind the role called my heart and soul. What would it be to be more awake and conscious when we're doing our roles? It would be a graciousness, a sensitivity. It would be learning how to be appropriate in situations To sort of bring what's needed, like the two did. But now, in terms of how I show up, you know, I don't, I could be just having a beer and laughing with my pals and I walk into the meditation room and suddenly it's, (laughs) I don't keep behaving the same way. I shift to what's necessary in that environment. But can I be awake to the shift? Can I be awake to see, oh, a different role is needed now? can I be the master of the roles I play rather than the slave of the roles I play? Right? And that is absolutely integral to the process of finding and staying with my heart and living in this realm of value and meaning that we've been talking about. We also tend to think we need those roles to get stuff done as soon as there's a job to be done i jump into a particular role and so that's going to make it harder to be aware to stay present to be mindful in that task if i'm not also aware that i'm playing a role in that task you see The roles are related to our self-concepts, to the ways we want to be seen, the ways we want to be known or experienced by the different people in our lives. Again, none of this is bad or wrong. It's just unconscious. And when it's unconscious, it, it is going to tend to take me away from presence, mindfulness, and my heart. So the fixation here has to do with these roles. It's called deceit. Now that's a kind of harsh word isn't it deceit it sounds like you know a pathological liar or fibber uh, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that threes or people are going to trick other people in the pathology of any enneagram type we can say various things to cover our butts you know we can say certain things to produce results we want but that isn't really what we're talking about here the deceit is believing I am the ego. The deceit is believing I know who I am. I'm this person and here's how I am and here's what I do and here's where I live and that's it. That's me. The deceit is how we buy into our self-concepts and neglect the exploration of that inner life. The deceit is absolutely disappearing into the roles that I play and thinking that that's all there is to me and not knowing there is this deeper dimension to my being. So that deceit is helpful from the point of view that if you're going to play a role, you better play it full on. If you're going to be an ego, you might as well be an ego full on. But again, we're looking at how that fixated view is sometimes useful, sometimes accurate, but very limited in relation to what we really are and to what's really going on here in the world. So we're, again, going to see that role-playing, see the way we disappear ourselves into functioning, see the way we run so much almost robotically on autopilot, just working, 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 getting stuff done. Whether we're an executive or we're working in labor or whether we're a single mom struggling to take care of her family, whatever that is, the way we lose ourselves in all of that and forget there's something else here. And again, not to say that this is about hanging out in, in, a, in an ashram or something the rest of my life. It's about bringing that presence into the life that I'm living and bringing back the sense of meaning and value to it. So when uh, this happens, we get the higher side of three. Even personality level, just looking at the, the three as a personality. Um, threes, when they're in some degree of contact with these real gifts or qualities. They're very gracious people. They're hardworking. They stake their reputation on their competency. I know what I'm doing and I can get stuff done and you can count on me to get things done. I will deliver the goods, right? Whatever that task might be. Uh, Threes are really good at helping other people learn stuff and develop their talents. They're really about developing our God-given capacities. Um, They are often exemplars to other people to inspire them to achieve more. And they stand very much for the importance of achieving something in this life, which I think is a good thing. The issue is going to arise not from all that, but how the task becomes more important in my heart. The work becomes more important than my soul. I lose myself in these tasks. I lose myself in the roles I'm playing. And then I become a stranger to myself. And other people may like me. They may say, wow, he's a great guy. Wow, she's a a lovely lady. However, I'm not sure who they really are or what they're really about. There's some way that... People want to know my heart and soul, but I don't know how to reveal it anymore. So that is not a place that most of us probably want to end up. When we get trapped that way and our fixation is running and our passion of vainglory is running, also the centers pop into a certain pattern. The centers uh, here are more like the nine, in that it starts with the heart because as a three, I'm looking for that value. I'm looking for that meaning. Those are heart things. It doesn't look heart because it's not sentimental. It's not really about that. Most threes, if I ask them, are going to say they they would think of themselves more as thinkers or doers rather than as heart people. Well, that's because... While I am indeed a thinker and a doer, it's the heart that's motivating me. It's the heart that's getting me up and sending me out to do these things. And that heart is either doing it to win over the attention and love of someone, as, as I was saying earlier, or it's in the higher level, it's that sense of fulfillment and meaning and purpose that comes through the heart. What happens for the three, though, is the heart splits off from the other two centers. So then, most of the time, I'm in a loop between thinking and doing. I'm thinking and doing, thinking and doing, thinking and doing. And on the other side of that divide is my feelings, my heart. And I have a heart, I have feelings, but I tend to go to that when I'm on my own or maybe with a very intimate friend or companion. And when I'm feeling, I really don't know how to do the other things in life. It feels like a split. So the problem here is to bring those two sides of myself back together. As I was saying at the beginning, how do I bring my heart into my functioning? How do I bring my presence into the tasks at hand? If I don't, it can be very devastating when we are doing all the right things and doing everything we're supposed to do. And then we get to the end of the day and realize we missed the whole thing. I've talked with Olympic gold medal winners who missed the Olympics because they were so busy functioning. They weren't there to experience the most important moment of their life. So this has consequences. When we come back to the centers, the heart reconnects, they come into balance. The three energy in the body feels like dynamism. Um, The eight had that aliveness, the feeling of aliveness, and this is close to that. But here you're feeling like energy, life, the body as movement, as functioning, my body right now is not a static, inert thing. It isn't just what I am choosing to do. My body is functioning, creating life. Life is functioning. All these levels of me are in movement, in dance, and it feels that way. I'm I'm here in the dynamism of reality. In the heart, the three energy feels like that. What I've already talked about—that light, that graciousness, that sense of appreciation the sense of purpose. And I would add that when we're living this way, more out of presence, that appreciative heart is susceptible to what I call vocation, that I might receive a real calling, a real higher or deeper purpose. And then in the head center, the three energy manifests as a kind of freshness, a readiness A crispness. It's like when you start your day and you get to your office and you're ready to go and you feel great. And okay, what's up? What are we doing today? What is the task at hand? And the mind is clear, lucid, ready to go. And that's a pretty nice way to live. The virtue comes about as we bring these beautiful three qualities of presence to that emptiness, to that sense of deficiency, that feeling that there's nothing inside me, this terror that I might be a failure as a human being. As we keep having this experience of our preciousness, it starts to undo those old wounds and hurts and beliefs, and it brings about the virtue of authenticity. Authenticity is learning to live and function while remaining congruent with my heart so that what I communicate and what I do is, is a, an expression of my heart, a gift from my heart. And then my work is a gift from my heart. The way I communicate with people is a gift from my heart. And the heart more and more guides who I am. Threes I know who have done a lot of inner work reach a point where Doing anything that doesn't feel congruent, honest, real is like a great suffering. They just can't do it. And again, it's that arising of conscience that I talked about in point one becomes a very real thing. Sometimes when threes start to figure this stuff out, they can want to go on strike. They get mad. They feel like they've wasted their life. They've been fulfilling someone else's dream. Uh, they, They can have a lot of reaction. And I always tell them, you know, you don't need to burn the suits. I know you want to, but you may not have to move to a commune in the mountains somewhere. What you do need to do is now look at all the beautiful skills you've acquired, things you've learned, things you really do well, and find how to use them in service of something that you love and care about. And I think beyond just uh, the transformation of us as individuals, this has implications for our entire society. As we start to move toward how do we use our resources, our intelligence, how do we use the gifts that we have to move toward creating a world we actually want to live in? I believe it was the uh, business guru and um, teacher at MIT, Otto Scharmer, who said something along the lines that never in the history of the world has there been so much talent, intelligence, energy, and resources applied to producing results that no one in the world wants. Right? It's just we're all going along, colluding with the roles, making things valuable that we kind of know aren't valuable, and ignoring that little voice in our heart that says, maybe there's something else here for you. So the inner lines from point three go to point six and point nine. Point nine is the stress point for three. And as with the other types, this generally means that when I've overdone my threeness, When i just can't do any more threeness i will start to bring out nine qualities as a kind of compensation well we could simplify that by just saying three is about doing 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 and nine is about being 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 but how it (laughs) plays out when it's a, a shadow thing and a stress reaction is we just start to go through the motions we are there at work, but we're not motivated. We're not involved. We're just nodding our head at the meetings. We're getting the basic tasks done. Where we can, we're just flopping. We're losing our steam and we're moving toward burnout. And a lot of threes tend to get back in touch with their inner journey by going through some kind of difficult experience of burnout. It can even lead to health crises honestly, can lead to relationship crises. But the nine comes out as the subconscious realization. I need to land. I need to be with myself a bit. I need to just get away from my preoccupation with all these tasks or I'm going to go crazy. So you can really see those two as counterbalances, overcompensations. But as we start to recognize those, of course, they're going to integrate. The other side of it is uh, the line to six. And when we first encounter the the sort of shadow part of that integration point, it's something we're ashamed of. It's something we don't really like to acknowledge. And that's true for all of the types. Uh, Here, with a few close friends, with people I really, really trust, maybe only with my life partner, I will share how much anxiety I have, how much doubt I have, how freaked out I am by how much I've taken on. I don't want most people to see that. I want to present, hi, I'm a competent person. I know what I'm doing. Got it together. I'm efficient. Sure. No problem. But with certain people, I'm just sharing, I don't know if our company's going to survive. People are screwing up. I feel overwhelmed. This and this and this. I, I don't know how to take care of myself anymore. So certain people are going to get my venting. And that's a good thing. And if I were to actually be present with that scared, overwhelmed child inside, I'd start to have a mercy and a kindness toward myself. I don't have to keep dancing quite so hard. I start to see through that, the, the glimmers of what matters to me, because what that's going to lead to is the higher side of six, which is me realizing that I'm never going to find that value and meaning by all the ways I'm trying to make myself exceptional. That's fine in and of itself, but what I'm looking for is found in what I give myself to, what I surrender to, what I become part of that's greater than my individual self. What's worth offering my heart to? Not what has happened with that unconsciously, but what I consciously choose to dedicate myself to in that as a three, I find my meaning and purpose and I find my royal road to the heart. And all the threes I've known who have done their inner work, without exception, have found something like that. Um, have found things that they believe in and that they share with the world and that they're trying with all their talent and all their uh, being to support. So once all of that happens, of course, you've got a healthy three. And as I keep saying, there's no healthy three without healthy six as part of it. The integration and the coming out of the fixation become one movement, kind of a simultaneous uh, equation, if you will. And here is the wake up call for point three. And this is a really interesting one. Basically, the issue for three is am I here? Am I functioning? And so the practice has to do with something I observed and then found other people had observed too throughout history is that our personality has a certain momentum and our soul, our essence, has a different momentum. They have a different pace. When I get into the pace of my ego, it's very hard to find my presence. I'm swept in the momentum of that egoic activity. So the practice is to function a little tiny bit slower than my habit. There's a way I talk. There's a way I walk. There's a way I move. There's a way I do everything that has a certain rhythm to it. When I'm on autopilot, it goes a certain way. Can I just slow down ever so minutely so that I'm not lost in that momentum? This is a wonderful mindfulness practice for anyone. But I really think it's very beneficial to the threes. I can get to that meeting without a hurried quality. I'm moving. I'm getting there. I'm not going slow. I'm just not in that momentum. I'm not swept away in that rapid pace. When I'm speaking to people, I'm not stumbling over my words. I'm not talking too fast. I'm letting each word land. I'm finding another rhythm. I'm finding the rhythm of my soul. And I will find, I promise you this, Threes, the more I practice this, and it won't happen by itself. You guys are good (laughs) at, at doing the practices that are necessary to develop yourself. If you do this one, It will vastly increase your offering to the world. It will deepen your competencies. It will make you far more effective as a human being than this pell-mell way that we all tend to live our lives. So if we practice that, this is also going to help us bring our heart and meaning back into our functioning, which would be a lovely outcome. So now we're going to explore the deepening presence of point three through certain practices. So again, let's find our breath. Let's breathe a little more deeply and a little more slowly than our habit. And as we find this other rhythm of breath, to stay with that and let that be a way of opening to the sensation of our body. So just take a moment to do that. So once you feel a little more established in your physical presence I invite you to have your palms facing up in this one. They may already be but if they're not just turn them. You can have your hands either relaxed and sensing the openness of your hands and or you can touch your four fingers and thumbs together in a classic mudra, just as a way to feel a little point of sensation. You can feel the sensation of the fingers touching and as long as you can feel that sensation it's a sign that you're still here. You can also do that as I said with just a relaxed open hand, whatever feels right at the time. And as you're sitting in this posture of receptivity, bring your attention to the sensation of your chest. This time, instead of sensing the front area, as we did with point two, I want you to sense into the center of your chest. We found a little point in the middle of our belly, in the middle of our hips for point nine. And there is a similar point here in the center of our chest for point three. Like the sun of our inner solar system. Now as you explore this, you may or may not have any visual And you may or may not sense this point right away, but it's enough just to bring your gentle attention to the center of your chest and to stay there with patience. We may just find quietness there. That's okay. But we stay receptive, open, and attending to the center of our chest. As if we were sitting on a beach waiting for the sun to rise and watching the first glimmers of that across the waves. There's no rush. We're not trying to produce anything. We're bearing witness to something. We're witnessing our heart. And we may also begin to sense the way our hands and arms are connected to our heart as if they're wings coming out of this core. my arms and hands the means of my doing and work are connected to my heart just notice that the flavors that emerge may be very subtle that's how the heart is We learn to acquire a taste for that subtlety. We learn to love that subtlety. And we feel that subtlety begin to pervade more and more of our experience and more and more of our sensation. Now I can stay like this as long as I wish. Sometimes it helps to stay a little longer than the first impulse to get up. But as I do get up again, to feel this connection between my heart and my hands and to be with the subtle flavor of my inner world. And to just let that be there as I move into my day and the activities that I'm called to do.